for December 27th, 2010. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 130, Vampire Casablanca. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, I am Matthew Rather, here with the panel and the triumphant return of Peter Fenzel. Hey, everybody, it's Peter Fenzel. Ring bells, <laughs> bang drums, kaloo kaleo, frabjous day. It's Peter Fenzel, back from his, uh, from his retreat, from his overthinking sabbatical, from his uh, couple of weekends off. Hi. Yeah, no, I was I was in heavy duty into year end improv stuff. So it was the new season of improv was closing and starting their auditions, a lot of stuff to do. So I was very enmeshed in that. So that's where I was. Um. In a way, every improv show is an audition, though. Isn't it? <laughs> I suppose. I suppose they could kick you off at any time. In a way. Right. In a way. In a way. In a way. Didn't mean to interrupt, of course. But of course, I'm back, which means I will be interrupting throughout the podcast with various uh, <laughs> insights and/or detracting, sarcastic comments and uh, hijacking and sidetracking uh, galore. So, those of you. Uh, by the way, can I just say real quick that one of our one of our commenters uh, really hit the nail on the head last week when they said that it was the best podcast ever. Uh, with me not being there in the comments. <laughs> and I read that. And I was like, oh, okay. That's oh. cruel. That's <laughs> so what no, I, I say that. That's terrible. <laughs> no, no. They didn't say it because I wasn't there. They said it was the best podcast ever. I think it's because they liked Parrish singing, which I love Parrish singing. I just get to see him every Wednesday do karaoke, and he's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if he's sung on the podcast, then that is reason enough. But whenever I read, whenever I read some like praise for something that is like augmented by my absence, it always makes me a little bit glum. Like uh, oh, oh, geez. Well, we'll try to cheer you up this this uh, week with our discussion of absolutely nothing whatsoever. We Yay! Have no, we, we have no agenda at all. Um, always, we're always coming home. That's uh, that's, that's how it works. Definitely. ABC always be coming home. Uh, all right. So, uh, in honor of the the storms, the rainstorms that uh, drowned the West Coast this week, we had rain on Christmas in Los Angeles, and uh, in honor of the snowstorms that are um, uh, pummeling the East Coast and snowing them all in on Christmas weekend. Though I understand, Pete, that you drove through the snow as it was falling today uh, on a bus. Yeah, it took me quite a long time to get home. It was like an, an eight hour eight hour drive. Uh, on the bus to get from uh, New York to Boston, which is about five hours longer than it has to be and four hours longer than it usually is. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, it was a haul, definitely. Uh, the, um, the storm, what is your favorite fictional storm in, uh, in uh, any you know, sort of uh, fiction? Any narrative product. So oh, Pete, you're, you're, you're first. You're back. You're back in the rotation. What is it? <sighs> Oh man, see like there's so many great ones and there's so many ones that are so like sort of vaguely defined as like storms and such, like like the temporal anomaly in the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Which had that <laughs> wonderful Christmas Eve marathon that I got to watch. Uh oh, so good. Oh, it was that was just made that was a Christmas miracle. Uh but is that a storm really? Like not really, right? Uh I mean I love I love the storm that sort of like lashes the protagonist against like unbelievable adversity as they like cry out, like either from the main mast of the ship that they're going to like carry on or any of that or like that they're going to persevere like storms that they push through um and i think probably like if i were to sort of back off from the sort of like intense aggressive side of me and think to the sort of like circumspect wholly artistically considered storm that i really love the most like have the deepest feelings about i'm getting a little bit of of shivers uh thinking about it probably because it's really cold in here because the freaking blizzard um but i'm gonna say the big snowstorm that omar sharif has to go through in dr zhivago which is like first of all it's timely because the movie just came out just 30 or 40 years ago uh i don't know if you know if you've ever seen this movie like so dr zhivago is like pattern off of like the big epic movies of its day right and like and it's you know the movie it's it's based on this book and all this other stuff and and there's this scene in the middle that's reminiscent of some of my favorite scenes, especially the scene uh, of Charlton Heston. 
Livingston in the Ten Commandments where he's like walking across the desert and keeps like prat falling into frame because Moses is so tired from walking in the desert. But there's a scene where it's just like Omar Sharif with his like thick, bushy Omar Sharif mustache, which still manages to be sleek and masculine, like forcing his way through like a blinding white blizzard. And this like, you know, and, it's, and the thing is, it's, it's a romance, right? And there's this like man versus wild, like pushing through. Uh, and there's just something about it that feels very artistic, uh, but I'm not actually convinced it is artistic. Like it's like it's like a it's just a moment where he's in the snow for like a long time, and and it's one of those things which like it's iconic and it feels poignant, but like I'm not convinced that it's really all that meaningful in the context of the story because Omar Sharif has this poise to the course of the entire story, right? He has this like this like preternatural like like centeredness where like there's betrayals that are going on and craziness is happening and, and Doctor Javago like holds it together. Um, I mean, I think he loses it from time to time, but, like, most of the time, his performance is very staid. And so there's this, like, very, like, this, like, very overdone, wonderful march through the blizzard, and you never really think that he's going to be he's going to be harmed by it. Like, like, it's like, it's like, it's sort of amazing that one man could be surrounded by so much cold. And yet like, you could be so certain that were you to touch him at any point, he would be like totally warm in room temperature. <laughs> so he's like, he's like Omar Sharif, you know, it's not going to, not going to do this stuff. And like, I guess the other favorite Omar Sharif storm would be the crudely computer generated sandstorms in Hidalgo, which is also an Omar Sharif movie, but I've already used up enough good storms. So I'm going to, I'm going to set that aside along with the psi storms of the Protoss high Templar that I've been playing lately on Starcraft and handed off to the next stormy member of our stormy podcast that would be uh that would be jordan stormy stokes (laughs) can i just go by stormy stokes from now on (laughs) (laughs) oh man awesome yeah i I would have to i would have to say that um the the marvel comics character storm was my favorite (laughs) fictional storm hey hey jordan (laughs) hey jordan what happens to a toad struck by lightning Uh, it depends on whether the toad is played by Omar Sharif, you know? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Continue, I interrupted, which is my one. No, that's, that's about all I had to say. <laughs> what about Stormy from, from, uh, from C-Lab 2021? Oh, man, that's actually a far better storm. No, nothing, against the, uh, nothing against the Marvel comic book storm, but I honestly don't really read the X-Men much. So I basically picked that because I thought it was clever. But I do watch C-Lab 2020, and Stormy <laughs> is hilarious on that. <laughs> It's less a time machine and more of a dodgeball cannon. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, though, I, I've, I've found that C-Lab 2021, which is based off of C-Lab 2020, which is like a sort of serious and dry children's television uh, cartoon from, I think, the 70s or early 80s. C-Lab 2021 is one of the early Adult Swim cartoons, one of the first, like, 15-minute uh, not first, but like one of the early 15 minute cartoons for adults based off of like sort of existing properties and like sort of it's like found object collage combined with like very Dada humor and surrealism and, and craziness. Um, and it's so funny, especially before uh, dear Harry Gauz uh, dies, uh, the actor and, and leaves the show without its marquee star. Like that show is so funny. And I, I would recommend that to anybody like without reservation. That show is just so good. Yeah, they're, they're hit to miss ratio is kind of remarkable considering like the kind of comedy that they're doing often is very patchy and it like it works really well when it works but when it doesn't it's just a mess but they like you know they had a really good editor or something or or just just a a really good run of luck because those are those are all pretty great like if you consider the episode where the captain goes to the vending machine to get the soda and the vending machine falls on him and he stays pinned in the room with the vending machine for, for weeks, right? Or like months uh, while there's a scorpion, I believe, that he befriends who like opens the cans of soda and feeds it to him in exchange for stinging him repeatedly. Which is like, and he grows a beard and he becomes – starts hallucinating. It's, and it's like that episode is so – not much happens and yet it like – uh, yeah. I mean, there's a parallel plot, but like, but that gag like is handled with such control while being totally just butt crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Oh, it's so good. I miss that show. I want to watch it again. I was because I was. Um, someone asked me, "What's the funniest laugh out loud moment that you ever seen on TV?" Right? Uh, that you had to like rewind and see again. And I definitely said it was the. Um, it was either the Bizarro episode. Yeah, I, I was of, about right. to say Bizarro. I yeah. love you, Bizarro. <laughs> like before they left, I fed Turtle Face a whole bunch of peanuts. Yeah. And these things don't make sense if you don't watch it. Yeah. But yeah. and also the commercial for Grizzlebees, the the um, clinical depression <laughs> commercial for the chain right. restaurant. Huh. 
<laughs> it's like, you know, if you can't go outside, Grizzlebees delivers. <laughs> like, you don't have to go outside ever again. I don't want to interrupt this, uh, this exchange, but I do want to give my favorite storm. Uh, in oh, of course, culture. of course. Go for it. Uh, and I'll do it very quickly. It's, uh, it's in a, a little-known uh, film called Renaissance Man. Oh, that's a good movie. I love that movie. Starring Danny DeVito as a uh, as an English teacher who comes to teach a bunch of um uh of uh what are they? They're they're like Jarhead, army recruits right? in yeah. in basic training. Uh yeah. for some reason they have to take a remedial English class where <laughs> Danny DeVito as a uh sort of um what as a kind of dumpy old English professor who's uh lost all his hope and optimism in right. uh, in the kids today. Uh, you know, uh, teaches a bunch of uh, uh, trainees to love Shakespeare, and uh, in the process gets a new lease on life himself. Yeah, and- it's, it's like a killed in action poet society. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. so. <laughs> well, so what happened? What's the storm in it's, that movie? It's, Tell danger- us about it. it's dangerous minds, but uh, but actually rather less dangerous minds than the dangerous minds in, in dangerous minds. It's very oh, okay. well ordered dangerous minds. Yeah. It's mine. So wait, what what's the storm? Is it like his are you talking about like his influence on these very conformist uh recruits like opening up their minds to great literature or is yes, there some other storm absolutely. in the- No, there there is a storm uh in which um uh oh I forget who the drill sergeant someone IMDB who the who the drill instructor on it in the- <laughs> stall stall in, in, that, in that movie who is for the whole and, and he's African American also uh and Danny DeVito is is um uh, of the race he's played by Gregory Hines actually oh there you go yeah uh, of the that, race how's that for speed huh <laughs> that's that's fast definitely of the race of the DeVitos and um he uh. Uh, he's uh, he's Danny DeVito's antagonist through the whole movie. They they can't stand each other. What the hell are you doing teaching my recruits Shakespeare? That won't help them kill anybody. Uh, that won't teach them anything about war, right? And so he gets um he's you know they're having a, a, a push up contest in the rain or something like that. They're doing a, a training exercise at night in the rain that involves a lot of like strenuous obstacle course stuff and and push ups. And they're all doing push ups in the mud. And uh, Danny DeVito drives up inexplicably. Uh, and witnesses this from you know high on the road uh, above the mud puddle where they're doing their push-ups, and uh, the drill instructor says, "Hey, how about we hear some of that Shakespeare? You know what would be good now in the rain? Some of that Shakespeare. Hey, you, you know, Private, and he gives he gives a name like you know I don't know F up or something. You know what I mean? Like uh, Private Fat Ass or something like that. Yeah. Stand up, give me some of that Shakespeare." And he, you know, he stands up and he looks around his, you know, his thick black uh, TEDs, uh, tactical eye devices, what you and I might refer to as glasses. Uh, you know. By the way, this person I think might be played by Kadeem Hardison, who is famous for wearing uh, glasses in an African-American fashion, <laughs> but uh, in a different world as Dwayne Wayne. But anyway, continue. He's in this movie. It might not be the same guy, but anyway, continue. <laughs> stands up. He stands up and after looking around uncertainly, uh, looks at the drill instructor and begins... Today is called the Feast of Crispian. (laughs) (laughs) And he says Uh, the whole St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V ending, you know, ending, of course, with, you know, we few, we happy few, we brand of band of brothers for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And, uh, you know, continues on in this fashion. And of course, the uh, the um, drill instructor is put in his place and Danny DeVito is vindicated and uh, Shakespeare knows something about war, apparently. That's what they say. Favorite <laughs> They could have gone with like some storm appropriate Shakespeare, you know. What the what the f was that? <laughs> yeah, I know that, that was Jordan scraping his microphone or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. You could have gone, yeah, you know, blow winds and you know, crack your something something. You cataracts yeah. and hurricanos spout. Um, you drenched our steeples, drowned the cops. You, you sulfurous and thought executing fires, volunteers to achieving thunderbolts. Seize my white head. Well, that could have been awkward. <laughs> so they could have been, they could have involved the less risky of the Julie Taymor projects currently in in uh, the public consciousness, which is her like mainstream relief theatrical release of the Tempest. Right? Um, did you did you see that the new Tempest movie with uh, Helen Mirren? I haven't seen it, but I've seen uh, I've seen previews for it. Oh, you saw previews for it? How were they? How were the previews? Uh, thumbs know. up, thumbs down. <laughs> 
the previews? Were they like the Cloverfield preview where you're like, man, that movie's going to be awesome. And then like you don't really have confidence that it's actually going to be awesome because you feel like you've been manipulated by the preview. But uh, but like you, you still feel like it's going to be awesome and you can't help yourself because you've been manipulated by the preview. So um, I don't know. From my, from my old friend uh, Raf, I have a system for uh, evaluating previews, right? So whenever the preview is finished, what you do is you put out both of your hands uh, with your, your four fingers clenched and your thumbs out, and your thumbs are pointed towards each other, parallel to the ground. And then you look at the person next to you. Okay, and I'm then, doing it. I'm doing okay. it. Okay. And then slowly you, you reveal what your rating for the preview is, which is a combination of how you think the preview is and how you, whether you think the movie is going to be any good and whether you think you're going to see it, right? Which are all different things and are more or less unrelated. Um, and and the, the ratings go all the way from two thumbs up to two thumbs down with like, with like, so it's like five levels. It's like one thumb up, two thumbs up, like, and then even, and then like one thumb down, two thumbs down. So, and you look you're and not, you do you're not one allowed to time. have fractional, fractional values. Like you actually can, one, you can sort of like rotate it up 45 degrees. The other, yeah, thumb, you have to make you know. a facial expression. If you're doing that, you have to be like, <laughs> and then it's like, it's an exception. So the, like the other thumb picking in. your nose or something. Yeah, like. yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's all about the timing. It's all about like, you wait for it. And it's like one hand. No, not the other hand. Just one thumb up. Okay. All right. Or one hand, both hands, which is what you get for like the the five the five Furious the movie that's coming out. With it. <laughs> it's like yeah, two thumbs up, awesome, spectacular. But uh, um, uh, of course, the other uh, the other Julie Tamer project is is Spider Man Turn Off the Dark, which we talked about a couple weeks ago on on the podcast, <laughs> and has uh, gone nowhere but up since. <laughs> 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 which it just goes to show it's the curse of the Overthinking Kid podcast. Have you we seen someone has done an extra normal movie where people are talking about? Uh, hey, I think I might want to go see. T- the, the two little uh, stick figures or whatever they have an extra normal are talking about, um, hey, I think I would like to go see that Spider-Man turn off the dark thing, you know, uh, <laughs> because I, I went to Peter Pan once and uh, there was a lot of flying around, but nobody died. Did anyone <laughs> die in Peter Pan? Uh, Man. So, wait, so, totally serious. Did that actor, was he seriously injured, the one who fell? Because just for people who aren't keeping up, like we talked a lot about how there had been accidents in, this, in the previews for this show. And then in one of the preview performances, uh, an actor did fall, like straight up fall, and like was taken Man. out on a stretcher, and they had to cancel the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they just, whoop, all right, that's it. Yeah. Curtain call. Yeah, he's, he's hospitalized, apparently. Fractured skull. Um, mm seems like you probably will be fine according to what has been released to the press but yeah. it now is keep uh, in mind yeah oh, go ahead no 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 i was just going to say it is it is pretty brutal yeah so we don't want to express too much like joy at his suffering obviously we want him to wish him a safe safe recovery from the boys that are overthinking it who he'll probably never hear of ever yeah. um, but we hope he's better but i mean it's funny because in a play you hear about that and it's like wow right it shuts the whole production down but like i think johnny knoxville was hospitalized with far more major injuries huh. several huh. times during the filming of jackass 3d like he his his pelvis was broken right because there's well, a scene where like a, a bull kicks him right or is his clavicle <laughs> maybe his clavicle um, but i think that when you when you have Johnny Knoxville, you know, or or when Jackie Chan has to be hospitalized back when he was doing all of his own stunts and like mm-hmm. still still being a stuntman, like that needs to happen to tell that story. I'm not convinced that anything that they're doing with Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark really needs to have wire stunts that are in danger of killing somebody. Because like right. you know, Peter Pan. That flying was quite impressive, I think. No, no one went to that and was like, well, the flying could have been more awesome. But yeah. nobody died. <laughs> well, I, think, oh, I, I think flying technology has changed since Peter Pan, right? Like it's a, well, apparently it's gone down the tubes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more dangerous. There, there's definitely been some sort of like speculative bubble in flying technology, wherein no, like, people it, expect higher value, but there's this un- intolerable amount of risk that people are not acknowledging. It's just but, like uh, with actual airlines. The, the price for, uh, for wire stunt fuel has gotten so high that they're skimping on all of the safety regulations. <laughs> oh, man. So wait, so in this movie, they have harnesses, right? In this play, they have harnesses that they're supposed to be tied to, and they've just been malfunctioning, and people have been falling. No, I mean, I, been... think that the, I think that there are different kinds of flying effects. I think it's not all like... Uh, Peter Pan, where it's it's wire stunts essentially, and you're you're hooked into a harness with a you know with a carabiner and a wire uh, on you. I think that there's some kind of Cirque du Soleil style, you know, trapeze jumping or sort of flying without a net or things like this or like uh, you know. Um, <laughs> 
say newsflash Julie Taymor, don't do that. You're going to kill somebody. Like, at what point do they just stop and retool? And well, say, she's like, not. I mean, she's not choreographing that stuff. That's all done by specialists, probably. Fair enough. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. but. Uh, I, I By the way, that. Googling Cirque du Soleil injuries leads to some interesting results. <laughs> uh, like, uh, well, Theme Park Insider has like a, a list of accidents involving injury at Cirque du Soleil La Nuba, um, which is back, yeah, August in, in 2010. Um, okay, so let's see. There, this is like Theme a... Theme Park sub- Insider, that sounds like the greatest website ever. Oh, you should check it out. Theme park. It's like, this is definitely, it's not quite up there with uh, Paradiso. Do you remember Paradiso, the greatest website ever? Where we were like talking about the Divine Comedy and we went to Paradiso and it was a Mexican restaurant in North Dakota. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, like, so you can have unlimited chips because you've never been to a Mexican restaurant before. Yeah, no, was, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, chips are free, dinner extra. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, okay. So, uh, so yeah, so this is like a lot. It's a lot of user-generated content. It's very similar to those websites where people are like, "My doctor is awful because anecdotal evidence," right? It's, it's like you know, it's like this one bad thing happened. Therefore, this never probably patronize this business. Um, so what happens here? So they're talking about a di- an injury with a with a trampoline. Uh, oh, the injured performer went down and stayed down broke their foot went through the trampoline that's not very much fun there's a lot of people talking about a trampoline accident um which is of course always sad because trampolines are supposed to be fun and happy have um, you guys seen the uh the youtube video where it's, it's the, the frank sinatra show and he interviews or presents the guy who invented the trampoline no no he presents the guy who invents the tramp is that do you Frank Sinatra show like Phil Hartman Frank Sinatra show or no like the Frank Sinatra show when he was hosting a variety show? Oh and, yeah, uh, there actually was a Frank Sinatra show. It wasn't just yeah. a Phil Hartman gag on Saturday Night Live. Oh okay, and, okay. Uh, and 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 he's and, and young Frank Sinatra, and he brings on this guy who is uh, who is like a vaudeville act who turns out to also be the inventor of the trampoline. I'll I'll, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. It is worth seeing. Is his name like L- Lucinius Trample? Is that like why it's called a trampoline? Because it's named after the guy? May well be. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. All right. Excellent. 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 After, after Mr. Trample. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, when I was watching over the holidays, and I mean, holiday movies are always a lot of fun, right? You know, and movies that, it's also fun to see, like, now that people have been totally saturated with holiday movies for 20 years or 30 years, like, what they play on the holidays that they think, like, corresponds to the holidays in people's minds, um, or that, like, evolution, like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to get Krinsky mad at me by using evolution incorrectly. So let me just say, like, some form of organic style, ah, organic is the wrong word, too. Some form of market-based selection has determined that, like, this is what people want to watch on Christmas. Like, the Christmas Eve Star Trek The Next Generation Marathon. Uh, and I was watching the 2003 production of Peter Pan, right? Which is like when they decided to make Peter Pan because they finally had the CGI to make it look like the kids were actually flying. And it's like – and it's it's so interesting to watch because it's like you could totally see the glee that they have at like – Oh no, they're almost going to get hit by a cannonball. And it's like it's like Peter Pan but with action sequences and it's like and they're so excited. It's from that like that like young days of uh of really crappy CGI movies, like like the heady days of Van Helsing, when it's like they had become widely available for large studio projects, and we're not just the stuff of like special stuff or sci-fi stuff anymore, but you could use CGI for like lots of stuff. Um, it wasn't just like Independence Day or Jurassic Park fanciness. It was like you could use it for a crap movie um, or a disposable children's uh, children's adventure movie. Jurassic and, Park uh, fanciness, the little known directed DVD <laughs> sequel. To Welcome Jurassic Park. to Jurassic. Oh, I have Jurassic. I, I could totally see it it's like like it's like it's a, a dinosaur device. tea party <laughs> i was seeing it as more of kind of like a soft core romance show which is like episodic where like hammond the old guy is like when i opened jurassic park i was hoping for it to be a place where couples could come and re, re uh, rediscover the spark in their relationships jim and tammy were one such couple and you like cut to them like drinking tea surrounded by like uh by velociraptors <laughs> it's like and all the velociraptors have like teacups in their dainty little dainty little short yeah, arms exactly and they're like oh it's just not the way it used to be it's like but honey i got you something special and it's like Rah! little egg <laughs> 
I definitely have Jurassic Park on the brain lately. I know that I wrote all about it for the Walking Dead piece. So if everybody wants more Jurassic Park, that now's the time because <laughs> it's you know, all Lloyd, up. In- Lloyd Kaufman made a made a movie uh, that has some similarities to that. That's called Tromeo and Juliet with his uh, you know famed Troma schlock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Studios yeah. that yeah. has a that has a penis monster that does resemble a dinosaur uh, that comes into frame from the bottom in its uh, in its kind of uh, its sort of dinosaur glory mm. so uh you know uh for the holidays check out the dinosaur penis monster <laughs> yeah sure sure thing definitely remind you that's that's a penis monster that looks like a dinosaur not a monster that looks like a dinosaur penis exactly sorry <laughs> english language is uh, not specific enough about these things do we have sufficient that was a, yeah oh, that was a dangling modifier Oh, that joke is triassic. <laughs> do we have sufficient what? Oh, I was saying, do we have a sufficient fossil record to know what dinosaur penises looked like? Do they die? Do they have penises? Do yeah, I mean, they, were, have penises? they they uh, they reproduce like birds, didn't they? I think so. I mean, that's what they say. But you know, what? I actually don't know how birds reproduce. Like, I know it's shocking, but, like, and I know so many things about so much useless crap, and it would be so useless for me to know how birds reproduce. But I, like, actually don't know how – they have sex, right? Like, birds make love. Like, the, the, the rooster gets a bottle of Chianti, and then, like, then... – <laughs> Well, because, like, fish don't make love, right? Like, fish, they put the eggs down, and amphibians, they put the eggs down, and they, like, spawn over the eggs, right? No, no, amphibians make love. But fish don't. I always was confused because they always say spawn in the children's textbooks when you're learning about these things. And like, they don't go into the details because they don't want you to know about animal sex. Uh, hmm. So, And I haven't watched enough Discovery Channel to know like exhaustively, like, do crows like have sex? Like, that would certainly improve their image as being such like dark omens of misfortune. <laughs> if, like, if it's like, bow, bow, it's like, oh, Raven, it appears you have come as a bearing of ill tidings on this dark day of remembrance for my lost love. Uh, hold on a minute. Like, let's see if this jar will open. Like, will you help me? You know, like, now, <laughs> this is what happens when I don't podcast for three weeks and I come back at uh, two weeks. I come back and I'm like totally exploding with ridiculous digressions. <laughs> Like the dinosaurs, totally exploding. With, yes, uh, that's what killed the dinosaurs, by the way, was being off topic. This <laughs> <laughs> is what killed them. They needed to stay on message, but they did not. And, and they drifted off message, and they were outcompeted by opossums and shrews and other such things that were you know, smaller but had better PR. Um, so apparently, uh, ducks have penises that are up to 17 inches long and shaped like corkscrews. You are joking. That is not possible. No, no, no. That is, that is true. If you, uh, 17 inches long I, for no, a duck penis? I knew that. Which is, you know, nearly the length of most ducks. <laughs> so, like, what? Do they do it under the water from far away so no one can see? Like, is it like, is it like run silent, run deep? Like, like you know, <laughs> style? Like, <laughs> so, the that goes that goes into this. And this, this goes to show, I think, that, uh, the theories behind evolution of biology are sometimes not all that well thought out, or sometimes, I don't know, maybe this is true, but it sounds half-baked, is that uh, the reason that the duck has this crazy long penis is that the female ducks have, like, crazy long, twisty vaginas. And <laughs> if, if the female duck's vagina is crazy long and twisty enough, this allows it to decide while it's having sex with the male duck, whether it will allow the duck to penetrate deep enough to actually reproduce with it, or whether it'll save that like last five inches of corkscrew vagina for the more evolutionarily fit duck. And then you get this arms race, right? So it probably started off with like five inch corkscrew penises, but right. then the, the one with Doesn't the seven- it always? Doesn't it always? <laughs> anyway, no, continue because this is fascinating. We we come we're really we're really a biology podcast disguised as a pop culture podcast. No, I mean that's that is wild. That is crazy stuff. It's pretty insane. Apparently, the uh, the way that this was discovered, it's like a relatively recent thing to, uh, to at least make the mainstream press. And there was some like researcher who watched a male duck take off from a lake. It was like, what the hell is that dripping off of its body? Like, <laughs> 17 inches down. Can that possibly be what I think it is? No, no, wait, yes. So wait, so it's not just me. So there were like naturalists for hundreds of years who like never bothered to figure out how birds have sex. Apparently. 
or at least ones that they don't have to breed for food. Although I guess people do breed ducks for food, right? Because the the ducks that you get, I mean, ducks are tasty. They're you can eat absolutely delicious. And read, read, uh, readers, listeners. Put in the comments whether you think ducks are delicious and whether they're more or less delicious now that you've learned this unseemly information about their intimate lives. I was trying to, uh, I was trying to think of, uh, of uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, but uh, uh, make it a sexy poem about, about raven sex. You know what I mean? Like, and the raven never jumping, still is humping, still is humping on the pretty la- lady raven just above the chamber door. Mm. Uh, Do you think Scrooge McDuck has a giant penis? Like like a regular duck? Like <laughs> Do you think Flintharp Glomgold and Scrooge McDuck are like the reason that they have to amass all this wealth is because they're involved in this like giant metaphorical corkscrew battle to see who's going to <laughs> And is that why all uh super prosperous ducks are Scottish and wear kilts? Um, it's because they need the breathing room. Why are we even doing this? Like, this imagine, is not appropriate. Can you, imagine, can you imagine a Christmas episode of uh, of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation? Speaking of Scrooge, I would like Star Trek: The Next Generation actually to do the Christmas Carol. You know? Did they not? I'm assuming they must have at some point. Everybody does, right? It's like it's like Godwin's law. It's like eventually someone gets compared to a Nazi, and eventually somebody does a Christmas Carol. I know. I'm going to Google this right now. I'm going to go. The if they didn't do it, Voyager sure as heck did, right? Like, uh, you got the holodeck right there. It seems kind of, kind of lazy not to. Next yeah. week on Star Trek: The Next Generation, it's a holodeck holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say I I turned on an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, during this break, probably during the same marathon you were talking about, and it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Beverly Crusher, like, inherits a candle from her grandmother, which is haunted by an erotic ghost. I swear to God, this is actually the plot of the episode. It's not, like, somebody's fan fiction. This is a, this is a thing that happened. Huh, huh. And she starts having, like, sex dreams about her grandmother's lover, uh, which she then, like, tells an embarrassing detail to the only other regular female cast member, uh, Deanna Troy. Like in this incredibly awkward scene where they're like, they're sitting at the bar and she's like, I had this dream. It was the hottest dream I've ever had. And they're there in their Star Trek uniforms. You have like the background Enterprise hum. It was it was very, very awkward to watch. Does Whoopi Goldberg come up and say, you know, I don't know, say something like what she says on The View or something? You know, I turned it off. I couldn't keep myself (laughs) watching it. It it really made me like I, I want I want to see now like. To prove that uh, that gender roles on television are more equal than I tend to assume they are, I want to see the episode where that happens to like Riker and Jordy LaForge. You know, hey, hey, this is actually really interesting, uh, Matt. So apparently, so I'm looking up a Christmas Carol on Memory Alpha, the Star Trek wiki, because why the heck not? Why would you not do that? And there is a page for it because it appears in in uh, in uh, Next Generation, and, and it appears in Voyager twice. Um, but but they, this is really interesting. It's, well, well I, don't, I don't think that they have themed episodes. It's like it's referenced. Like, oh. like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they talk about it. And, of course, this website exhaustively catalogs everything. But um, so this is really interesting because it combines with something you were talking about before the podcast, which isn't really related to the kind of stuff we talk about overthinking it. So Data um, – apparently has decided like so you know data the robot in next generation he tries to discover emotion right he wants to be emotional like a human there's an episode where he decides that he's going to study method acting in order to like learn emotion in order to like discover emotion by recreating them like through performance technique right so he would use like the methods of state of like of like i mean not you know method stanislavski is not strictly method right like there's Lee strasberg right Lee strasberg yeah so he tries to use like strasberg and i'm sure it's some bastard you know um, bleepdardized version of Strasbourg that he uses to try to like well, work into his emotional state. On the I guess so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you could say bastardized. But yeah, but he he so he tries to discover his emotions through method acting, and he does this. Uh, he, and in doing this, he discovers the. Um, he does a scene from a Christmas Carol in which he like discovers that Scrooge is like motivated by uh, by fear to redeem himself, and he's like, "Oh, that's what fear is. It's what Scrooge feels in a Christmas Carol that causes him to like want to be a nice guy." Um, so, anti-time, yeah. Anti-time, Data. Anti-time. Anti-time. There's also a page in the Star Trek wiki for Ebenezer Scrooge, who uh, is played by Data 
in the episode with like a crazy little hat on. Uh, man, this this website has everything. I don't want to get sent too deep into here. Well, you'll have to throw in a rope and pull me out. Uh-huh. That'll be ridiculous. That's and, has, and you know that yeah. that uh, Patrick Stewart used to do a one man show <laughs> where uh, he would play. Uh, he would read. Dickens' A Christmas Carol and kind of act out all the different parts of it as, as he read it. But he, he memorized it. So it was him alone on stage reciting A Christmas Carol and kind of, you know, bounding about being uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and Tiny Tim and, and all these people. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Uh, did you, have you watched, uh, I watched Bill Murray Scrooged a little bit of it over the, over the holiday week. I love that movie. That movie has a lot. It has all those fun 80s special effects like fake lightning and stuff. He does. Um, we say he died. In this week's open thread, uh, the um, uh, in this week's open thread, who was it? It's it's uh, uh, Tim Swan, I think, right? Who says that his his family's tradition is to watch Scrooged, and then he goes uh, when he goes to bed, he reads a, a Christmas Carol once before bed. That's a that's a good uh, Christmas tradition, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, we do a, an, a loud reading of the night before Christmas on the night before Christmas. Have you Which heard- is always nice. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard the uh, the Ernest Hemingway? Uh, uh, Twas the night before Christmas. No, no, no. It's a it's a parody from early in the century that is. Um, uh, I'm gonna Google it. Talk about talk amongst yourselves. All right. So Jordan is not there. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm here. Oh, his- <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, 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 Jordan, um, we've got a little bit of time left to salvage this podcast because it's been wandering all over the place. Like, do you have any? So let's take a minute here. Let's have some orange slices. Let's drink some cold water. Now, keep in mind, like, I was on a bus for eight hours today, and I'm a little bit thrown and all that other stuff. Um, it wasn't eight. It was eight hours. I don't even remember how long it was. It was an eleven-hour trip, all told, trains and buses. Um, so I'm a little bit disheveled. We're here in a blizzard. We're fighting for our lives. Give us some notes, Coach, about what we need to bring into the home stretch of this podcast to really make it pop so our readers are really going to appreciate and our listeners are really going to appreciate what we do for them. Well, we I think, yeah. honestly, uh, you can't win them all. I think that what, uh, what the fans appreciate is that we, we try every game, you know? And even yeah, when, we, you're, when you're, uh, you're getting deep, you still have to keep on trying. You so still have to keep on trying, even when the, even when the sound is not, is not working. I don't know what you're yeah. doing, Jordan, but we can't hear you. It's, it's the damnest yeah. thing. Well, you sort out your, uh, your audio situation. Well, you like plug and unplug or something. I'm going to read a little bit from uh, uh, a visit from St. Nicholas in the Ernest Hemingway Matter by uh, James Thurber. Okay. It was the night before Christmas. The house was very quiet. Continue, continue. No creatures were stirring in the house. There weren't even any mice stirring. (laughs) The stockings had been hung carefully by the chimney. The children hoped that St. Nicholas would come and fill them. The children were in their beds. Their beds were in the room next to ours. Mama and I were in our beds. Mama wore a kerchief. I had my cap on. <laughs> I could hear the children moving. We didn't move. <laughs> we wanted the children to think we were asleep. <laughs> Father, the children said. There was no answer. <laughs> He's there, all right, they thought. It goes on and on and on and on. Uh, oh, that's awesome. That's out awesome. On, out on the lawn, a clatter arose. I got out of bed and went to the window. I opened the <laughs> shutters. Then I threw up the sash. The moon shone on the snow. The moon gave <laughs> the luster of midday to objects in the snow. There was a miniature sleigh, sleigh in the snow and eight tiny reindeer. A little man was driving them. He was lively and quick. <laughs> He whistled and shouted at the reindeer and called them by their names. <laughs> their names were Dasher, <laughs> Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, <laughs> Comet, Cupid, Donder, and Blitzen. He told them to dash away to the top of the porch. <laughs> and then he told them to dash away to the top of the wall. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they did. They did. 
<laughs> that is awesome. I mean, now, now maybe people aren't going to appreciate. I mean, I think that's really funny. I mean, maybe people won't appreciate why that's funny because. <laughs> Um, go read, go read uh, Hills Like White Elephants or go read A Clean Well Lighted Place or go read The Sun Also Rises or something like that. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see why that's funny. Yeah. Well, it's you just because it's like the joke. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just looking for filler at this point. No, I'm not. I, I love this podcast. What are you talking about? I'm here to the end, guys. This is this is madness. This is overthinking it. Kick you in the cistern. We're fighting this one to the last man, definitely. Um, oh yeah, that's for sure. That's rally, for sure. rally your attack toward us to defend our position in cemetery. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Okay. So here's the issue, right? Is you know that what? even there's... if it's crappy, even if it's crappy, like you know the Twit Network of podcasts, which is probably one of the most heavily trafficked network of podcasts. They do millions of downloads a week, right? Like, uh, yeah. they're taking this week off. You know who isn't <laughs> overthinking it, right? We are giving you a fresh podcast the day after Christmas, and you know what? We're going to give you another one the day after New Year's. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so suck on that, Leo Laporte. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, so let me – here's the problem. So here's the problem. The reason why we're, we're drifting a little bit off topic today, just a tiny little bit, is that there's a lot of Oscar bait movies out there, right? And, and we love to talk about movies, and we love it when there are movies that are events, right? And where the movies are the big things that are happening because we get to talk about it, and you get to connect with us talking about it, and then you guys get to talk about it. It's something that we all get on the same page about culturally, and like that cultural discourse is uh, – and I said discourse, so you can drink. Uh, and that discourse is like the sort of the zeitgeist, not the zeitgeist, but it's like the, that sort of popular culture is the sort of like around the campfire storytelling, the sort of like basic social interaction that we're hooking into. Like that's the, the sort of the juice of the social interaction that we feel like we're exploring and that it has meaning for you guys talking to each other and for us talking to each other independently somewhat of like the actual movie business and the things that are in the movies. Like this is what we like to talk about, right? Now the problem is that there's these movies out there and like we haven't seen all of them. In yeah. fact, like we haven't seen a bunch of them, and part of this is that we're traveling, and, and I mean, I saw, and also we're not seeing them at the same time because a lot of them, the releases for these uh, movies aren't as big of a deal, right? Like, like the Oscar bait movies, they come in in November and December, and they they don't have these huge opening weekends where it's like this weekend, like everybody is going to go see the fighter. Right? Like, that is not what happens. But I'd love to see The Fighter. I haven't seen it. I saw The Black Swan, but I saw it two weeks late. So I'd love to tell you guys what I think about The Black Swan, but I don't know what you guys talked about two weeks ago. Um, so that I've missed out on my chance. But it's like, over the course of the next few weeks, a lot of us will probably go see True Grit. A lot of us will probably go see The Fighter. A lot of us, rather, will probably go see The King's Speech. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> I, I already saw The King's Speech. Yeah. Oh, you saw the center? Point, point it. How is The King's Speech, rather? Uh, it's, it's extremely well acted. It's, it's- it's pretty okay. well written and extremely well acted. The whole thing is shot extremely close with short lenses that mm. sort of distort the faces of the uh, of the actors. You know how so a, a wide angle lens, you know, kind of makes uh, it emphasizes the distance between foreground and background. Uh, right. And so if you have like a, a wide angle lens on your camera and, and you look at something with like a nose, the nose will seem to be like popping out of the picture at you. Yeah. So the, it, they, they'll use these for wrestling promos to make people's arms look enormous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. Sure. Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> and so it emphasizes things like it emphasizes things like perspective. You know, yeah. if you're shooting something that is a, a cube, if you're shooting like a room that is rectilinear, uh, but you're kind of shooting it at an angle, it'll it'll seem to kind of. Uh, you know, fall away to a point a, a little more, um, a, a little more intensely than it would with a with a long lens. So the whole thing is shot really close with short lenses, and so it has the effect of of like every like facial protuberance of uh, Jeffrey Rush ha- ha- looks grotesque in this movie. Like his nose mm. looks like it's it's three times as big as I'm sure it actually is because mm. it's like it's it's popping out at you. I you know I don't know what. I don't know. But it's not 3D. So it's so it's so this is funny. So Jeffrey Rush's nose is popping out at you in a way that makes you like really uncomfortable and yet this is a 2D movie in which this is happening, right? And like Jeffrey Rush's face is like a grotesque mask that is like bothering you and is like is sort of getting to you as you look at it, but he's not an undead pirate. So it's like there still is something in old-fashioned movie making. <laughs> so like of all the movies Jeffrey Rush made, like this is the one where he looks creepy when he's playing like the aristocratic uh, he's a speech there therapist right or a speech trainer yes in this and movie? he is not aristocratic he's from australia oh i'm um, sorry my apologies to the people not from australia yeah. for calling australia yeah, spoiler alert. no i love australia 
that, 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 that's a fairly major plot point you've just revealed. No, it's not. It's it's he know we know that he's from. Wait, Ontario. have you when seen this movie too, Jordan? Yeah, yeah I saw the case. Oh, why did you guys see this no, movie? It isn't it isn't it isn't a fairly major plot point. It's it's like he's from Australia. Hey, there's a new speech therapist. He's from Australia. You know, he's an Australian, right? Like uh, you know it. You know it when he's introduced, and it's also in in all the promo uh, in all the promo stuff I've read about the movie. Plus, he was a historical person who actually lived, so it's, it can hardly be called a spoiler. Oh, so you, you were just being a dick, essentially. <laughs> is what... I, I, I can't being... believe you guys went to see this movie without me, even though I we all being, live in different uh, cities. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> being, I was being a corkscrew-shaped duck cock. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, because I've heard a lot of buzz that, like, that this movie is, like, the big movie for Oscars, right? Um, oh, right, really, but you don't think it's... A... Uh, the social network, I think, is going to – I don't know. Well, I mean I've, I've heard the buzz. I don't – not necessarily like that this is getting the buzz more than other movies have also gotten buzz. But like the buzz that this movie is getting is like um, conspicuous for where this movie exists in terms of people watching it, right? It's like Inception. Hey, everybody watched Inception. Great movie, Inception. Oh, Inception might win an Oscar or a Golden Globe. Uh, social network. Everybody saw it. Everybody liked it. Like it might win an Oscar. And then like King's Speech. Never heard of it. Might win an Oscar. Like it jumps out more. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. For for one of those late in the year prestige projects, it really does the job very well. You know, like a what lot of movies that? Uh, to win Oscars. <laughs> like there are a lot of movies that, that come out that are sort of geared towards winning awards. A lot of them are insufferable, but this one is very easy to suffer. You know, it, it's actually quite a good movie. And, like, if, if either of them won an acting award, they would deserve it, I would say. Yeah, it's no, it's no The Reader, you know? Oh, which one was The Reader? The Reader was the, uh, the, reader was the actual Kate Winslet Nazi movie and not the <laughs> uh, parody Kate Winslet Nazi movie that she did on, uh, on Extras, the British show with... <laughs> where she comes on extras and is like god i should do a nazi movie they always give out oscars for nazi movies (laughs) and then the next year she did a nazi movie and uh it turns out she uh she got an oscar nomination for it that's hilarious they love doing that stuff but i mean i guess the the thing that i was talking to you about and and we can keep talking about king's speech if you want but the main thing i was saying is that like I, I, I the, the narrative I trace right always centers around the towering inferno right as like the movie that <laughs> saved movies right uh, is, is that like is that prior to the towering inferno you had this big problem where Hollywood had lost out to TV that was color and really fancy and nice and and people didn't go to the pictures as much anymore. And you couldn't make mass market movies as easily. And there was this sort of there was an attempt to make movies that were big and and fun and, and studio driven, all sort of stuff. But they weren't really capturing people's imagination. And the Towering Inferno is like the first like modern style blockbuster with like you know multiple huge numbers of stars and crazy special effects and like it's basically Die Hard without terrorists, right? Where like it's like it's like the building is on fire and like Paul Newman, yeah, is, yeah. Paul Newman is John McClane and 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 uh, and Steve McQueen is Reginald Vell Johnson but like more dashing and like they're trying yeah, to like solve the problem but if i can't get drunk before lunch the fire is already won <laughs> well there's a really creepy monologue at the end of the towering inferno where where steve mcqueen talks about like the plight of firefighters and skyscrapers because this is a route because the towering inferno i'm gonna google real quick the year it came out because uh, i think Towering Inferno came out in 1974, right? And so the mid-'70s were a time period when you were seeing acceleration in, uh, in architecture in the building of these mega skyscrapers, most notably the World Trade Center, right? And so there's a lot, there's a lot of concern when they were building the World Trade Center in New York City, the Twin Towers, lest we forget um, – uh, which I, were started, which caught on fire in 1975, right after this movie was made, um, and uh, and and so and it's like there's a lot of concern that these skyscrapers are getting too big and too complicated and like too huge and, and uncontrollable, and that firefighters are not going to be able to fight fires in them. And this was like a concern while they were building the World Trade Center. And so at the end of the movie, Steve McQueen has this monologue, being like, you know, he's the grizzled firefighter. Like we're going to keep charging into these buildings and we're going to keep breathing smoke until they figure out how to build them properly, right? And it's both, like, has this odd poignancy after 9-11 and also because of Steve McQueen's lung cancer that he died of breathing smoke. Because um, that's why he died, right, Steve McQueen? Or was he killed by a tiger? I forget. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Do you want, were you trying to make a, um, an analogy with, uh, you know, current kind of blockbuster movies with the inflating budgets and things? I was getting to it. 
<laughs> no, no. What I was saying was that uh, in order to keep movies competitive in an age in which technology lets people have the movie experience in their own homes, movies had to become events. So you have to want to go to the movie to participate in a larger cultural event. You're not buying a ticket to watch a narrative. You're buying a ticket to participate in a, a special something. Right, And that's why opening weekends are so important to movies, and that's how this sort of contemporary blockbuster model works. And so Oscar movies are different because I don't feel like the re- – because the, the event for an Oscar movie is not the release. The event for an Oscar movie is the Oscars. Right, and in, right? Fact, in fact, the release is actually kind of a technicality for a lot of Oscar movies where it has to, yeah. you know, it has to have a public run of one week. You know, at an American theater somewhere, which is usually yeah. in Los Angeles, uh, right, or New York, uh, yeah. or both, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and the hope is that it gets it gets nominated, and after it's it's nominated, and after it hopefully wins, uh, mm-hmm. then the droves of people will come out to see it, which never seems to work. But um, <laughs> well, they keep doing it anyway. It works sometimes. No, you know? like the, if you win Best Picture, you don't you don't necessarily make Avatar money, but you make way more than you would otherwise. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, like Crash. Like that made like $10. And then it made $25, which is an increase of 150%. Because that one guy bought a ticket and tried to return it, but it was too late. So they only gave him half his money back. No, I. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but I mean, I mean, that's, but that's interesting, I think. Because it's like the event exists in in a sort of non-linear relation to the release of the movie right it's like it's like it's like well not non-linear but it's like the difference between a first class lever and a second class lever like you know how like when you're learning simple machines there's like the first class lever which is like a seesaw where you push down on one side so the force is on one side of the fulcrum and the effort and the is on the other side the 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 resistance is on the other side of the fulcrum and and then you have second class levers and third class levers where um you know, I kind of forget which is which, but one of them, the force <laughs> is between the fulcrum and the load, and one of them, the force is on the outside, and the and the load is in the middle. I think the one with the load in the middle is third class. That's like a wheelbarrow. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. But but it's like you think that there's a natural order of operations, right? Where it goes like you know pitch, you know development, production, like marketing, event, profit. Or event, like release, event release, you know, profit, right? Where in this case it goes like, you know, pitch, development, release, marketing, event, profit. You know, it's like it's like a different kind of, uh, but it still feels like it has the same pieces. They're just in a different order, right? But uh, it's, well, I want, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about this, and and okay. I think that like, <laughs> <laughs> what? What are you talking about, guys? I got opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I think that the summer blockbuster event movies, you know, the movie where the the like the 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 pitch or the logo is, you know, thought the logo right is probably for Batman was probably thought up before the script was written for the Mm. the uh, Tim Burton, um, Michael Keaton Batman. Um, I think uh, I I think those are are purer entertainment, you know, than a lot of the the Oscar movies because they're, they're meant to to give pleasure, right? They're meant to to satisfy. Uh, your desires and to make money. Uh, whereas the Oscar bait movies are targeted at something else, but it, it's not really at giving you, giving you pleasure. Right. Well, well I would, I, I mean, Oh, go ahead, Jordan. You, I've talked enough. You go, go ahead. Oh, by the way, I just want to apologize. A wheelbarrow is a second class lever. My, <laughs> my sincere apologies to the engineers in the audience. They are not me. Uh, continue, Jordan. I always get really, really bothered by the argument that things that are aiming highbrow aren't meant to entertain. I think that they are meant to entertain. It's just there are different ways of, of being entertained. And there's a smaller group of people who are entertained by, uh, you know, by the King's Speech than are entertained by Avatar. It doesn't mean that their entertainment is better just because it's kind of tiny and, uh, and closed off. But it is a legitimately entertaining thing. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't Oscar bait movies that are utterly cynical and aren't trying to entertain. But I would say that there are big tentpole blockbusters that are utterly cynical and aren't really trying to entertain in the same way that, you know, your, your Inceptions or your Iron Man 2s are. You know, I think Tron yeah. Tron is a great example of that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Here, I, I would make I would point it to two things, right? Two conceptual things. One, the idea of purity 
uh, except in like very specific sorts of chemical applications. And even in those applications is like a highly spurious notion, right? Spurious notion that like things can be pure, right? Because what does that really even like, what does that really even mean in a world in which like we can reduce matter down to like quarks, you know, where there's like Higgs bosons, maybe like, like in which, like what, what is a, what is purity? Purity seems to me like perfection. It seems like one of those qualities that's identified aesthetically and then, and then it's identified not even aesthetically, but it's identified like as a sort of philosophical abstract and is applied to things, but there never seems to be a rubber meets the road point where it's justified. Like somebody who hasn't had sex is said to be pure, but what's like the impurity, right? Like what is that? How is there like, is there, I mean, there's chemicals passing in and out of a person's body all the time, whether they're alive or dead, like they're always in relation with the system. I mean, that has to do with it. That has to do with the moral a moral system, like and 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 moral purity, right? And and even in a physical system, I mean, you could talk about pure solutions and stuff, but you're you're always breaking it down to only a certain level, right? And like, well, as so I recall, there's there's elaborate tests online. It has mostly to do with how many times <laughs> you've seen the Rocky Horror Show, right? <laughs> or, wh- or, enough, whether, right. or whether you have poop in the in the fridge. Right, right. That yeah. Was my yeah. When when we were in college and we're all you know emailing purity tests around to each other, that was my favorite question. Uh, do you do you have any poop in your fridge? I mean, do you have, have like you a... do you now or have you ever had any right. poop in your fridge? Are you now or have you ever had a member of the? <laughs> do you have stairs in your house? And and the other thing and the other thing I want to point out is that we got you always got to be careful when you're talking about business about being too essentialist about the the tr- point of transaction right so it's like it's like oh like this like this is the kind of thinking that gets people in trouble when it comes to like housing for example right where it's like well a house has value right so like a house is you can live in like that makes it fundamentally different from other goods uh like no uh, it, when it comes to people exchanging money for other things like the point of transaction is the point of transaction and no matter what sort of aesthetic or semiotic or like semantic trapping you can put around this idea of transaction like transactions still have like you know very little in the way of like essential normative force right and and they can happen any way that you want so the the point of making a movie like that isn't to make a movie that entertains it's to make a movie that offers that creates the circumstance for a specific sort of transaction to take place and there are strategies that the movie employs to like make that transaction take place right and so like part of it is that you have to build the brand equity right of like of the studio system and you have to make movies a point of entertainment that everybody enjoys i mean i still think it's a miracle that people still hold to this idea that we need to make good movies because it seems like it would be much more profitable to just make terrible movies and make them really cheap. Well, uh, it, might, and like, it might point to the fact that a purely economic basis for artistic products, uh, even in the most like debased definition of art you want to use, is probably not getting to everything. Because yeah, you know, the, yeah. the, the model of the sci-fi channel, right, which basically did that with all yeah. those, those movies that they do, yeah. like – some of those are actually pretty good because they, they say, all right, you guys take $5,000. That's what it takes to make one of these movies. <laughs> do what you want. and We don't care what yeah. you do. And some people will throw their, their souls into it, and they come out kind of entertaining. Some of them are really, really terrible. And the Sci-Fi Channel makes exactly the same amount of money either way. And right. they like it was one of the big success stories of television in the last, uh, last couple of decades. I remember reading a, a profile in like Forbes or something on the woman who was running the sci-fi network and how like they were thriving where like NBC was struggling. Because they were taking risks and they were putting out these materials or, or just because they were, they had found this value prop that like they put out there, this product that people wanted to see. And like yeah, these also their, their overhead, their overhead is a lot lower being in cable channel than. Well, yeah, but that they had, they had like worked out this business model that was, yeah. The equivalent of like buying a, a factory in China because it's cheaper there and producing like, you know, very cheap toys that maybe have some lead paint in them. But like your your uh, your profit margin was higher than what it like. They, they didn't have any risk in their model, basically. Yeah, yeah. That they would make some money, and then if one of them actually, like, sells a couple of DVDs, then that's great. That's gravy. You can, like, throw that into an ad buy or something. I don't know. Right, 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 right. That's cool. Yeah, so, like, so when you're thinking about a movie like... Um 
I mean, I guess what's a good example of a big, like the A-Team, right? Which is like, I think a movie that you, Matt, would probably see as close to like a, what we think a pure entertainment, right? Um, cause it's like, it's a fun movie and it's, it's, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't aspire to a great deal of artistic seriousness and its source material is pretty flippant. Um, but, but at the same time, yeah, at the same time, well, sorry, what, 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 what was your at the same time? Oh, my, my thing is at the same time, it's like it's it's developed in order to encourage a specific sort of person to exchange money for a movie ticket. While at the same time, like you know, it does also rely on, I guess, a sense of good faith in the artistic project. Or it just it's sort of to the extent that it's good, it's not good because it is pure entertainment. You know, it is good because the people who made it made it good, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I and, it was, and that was a movie. I mean, that's a movie that I, that I thought was a pretty good kind of action comedy yeah know? yeah yeah um, it's definitely one of my highlights of 2010 i was yeah. making a list before the podcast thinking we might do a year in review which we didn't and might in the future so stay tuned stay tuned cadets maybe of space say, command maybe sometime. <laughs> yeah cadets how about we get some shakespeare from you <laughs> anyone want to give us some shakespeare oh i love the rain do more push-ups in the mud cadets um uh the a-team right the a-team was not successful financially i think compared with a lot of the uh with uh, some of its competitors i forget what came no. out that same weekend but it got like, competed it by like with karate the karate kid, kid. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's what it was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so that, that was um you know that's uh and and that movie uh kicked ass um it you know i don't know tornado kicked ass uh and the uh the a team didn't but um even even in a film that is not you know, I don't know that is that is kind of like a fast food of a of a film. You know, I thought that the at a certain level the writing was was competent, not all that great, but competent. The performances were were definitely more than competent. You know, mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, technical aspects of the production were flawless. I mean, they they have to be. Sometimes you have cheesy special effects here and there, but like you can't have a movie in in which you know someone bumps into the camera and it shakes a little bit. You know, this oh, is the holidays. Yeah. Everyone has their um, everyone has their uh, home video cameras out, and they're all you know I don't know shooting Christmas video on their phones, and the video is by and large crappy, right? Uh, you know, when have you seen a, a tripod shot in a movie where it the camera shakes a little bit? You know what I mean? Like unless it's like on purpose in order to like well, show. Yeah, unless the, it's a yeah. handheld. It's a handheld yeah. thing in the. Um, you know, and the, and that's the the point of it. I'm like, so scared. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> or Cloverfield, right? Yeah. Speaking. I'm of. so scared of a monster. It's, it's you know, <laughs> sort of we 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 don't think uh, about it, but it's something that you bring up a lot, Pete, about how technically perfect uh, yeah. filmed entertainment has got to be to make it. Um, you know, in the marketplace, right? Right. And and that and that at that level. Uh, there's a great deal of success even in in uh in movies that utterly fail at storytelling yeah. or utterly fail at kind of adding anything you know of a certain kind of value to the culture um uh technically they're they're nearly perfect and and a large group of highly skilled professionals you know put a great deal of effort yeah. hard work into um uh, you know, into every little um, every little detail of the thing. even even at this if point, the Bollywood movies look better than the Hollywood movies did ten years ago. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, well right, yeah, 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 exactly. And if you don't think that's true, do two things. One is watch the original Die Hard. You know, watch it for <laughs> right. Watch it for like uh, uh, pace. You know, the the pace of the cutting. Watch it for the um, the kind of sophistication of the of the storytelling. Uh, compared with something like the A Team, which, while not particularly well written, had you know six balls in the air at once all the time, which seems mm. to be a characteristic of a lot of our entertainment these days. Uh, you know, post Sopranos, especially if you're a bunch of ducks. <laughs> <laughs> quack quack, mamma jammas. Anyway, um, and uh, and if you don't believe me, that our our uh, our <laughs> um, that our entertainment is is technically very perfect. Go to any other uh, non North American. Go to any non North American country and watch the uh, watch the mov- movies or TV made in that in that country and w- w- any sort of non developed country, I should say. Uh, you know, and and watch it, and and you'll see it's it's not it's not nearly as good if you've seen. Yeah, it. It's still a lot better used to be but yeah, and one of the interesting things about this is that uh 
all the evidence that we have points to this not actually mattering. Because if you go back and look at that stuff, you know, look, look at TV from the 70s and how glacially paced it is and, you know, uh, what the editing is like, what the lighting is like. But people were fine with that at the time. Mm. You know, so it is technically perfect, but that standard of technical perfection, although absolutely necessary at this point, because it's what we've come to expect, doesn't actually seem to have any kind of bearing on how much we enjoy the product. Unless you want to say that people enjoy movies now today more than they ever did at any point in the past, which would be questionable, I feel like. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I, you know, I saw New Moon. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I've seen New Moon and I've seen Casablanca. And I've actually not seen New Moon. I'm making that up. But if I did, I would tell you that it was pretty much a lot better than Casablanca because Casablanca had zero vampires. <laughs> zero. Well, you haven't been reading my fanfic. <laughs> you need to get in that coffin with Victor where you belong. <laughs> I think this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Blah, 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 blah. One letter of transit. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> of all the organ rooms in all the Romanian castles in all the world, you had to walk into mine. Maybe the problems of two people don't amount to a pint of blood in this crazy, mixed-up world. I am applauding. I don't know if you can hear it, but I am applauding. That is great. <laughs> Play it sound. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. I totally want to see Vampire Casablanca. It's going to be so much better than the never made Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez Casablanca remake they were going to do. Here's, oh. here's, feeding, here's feeding on you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, All right, man. we should probably leave it leave it there, considering we've been talking about nothing for more than an hour. No, uh, it's not nothing. This isn't Seinfeld. Or yeah. Seinfeld doesn't talk about nothing either. But anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, can, do it, do it, Rockapella. In the world is Carmen if you want to call overthinking it, you better call us on the but telephone. It's at 203-285-6101. You can email us on the internet at podcastoverthinkingit.com. It's this Tragic site. Congo. <laughs> I'm just naming countries. Go, go ahead. Uh, we, uh, we have no break in production. We've been, we've been doing it for more than two years without ever failing to release an episode on uh, on a monday so here you go we'll be back next week until then you can find our clip show no one's actually writing new articles for overthinking it this week so you can find a bunch of top 10 lists that i'm going to prepare tonight uh, on the internet this week at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably doesn't <laughs> The Germans wore gray, you wore black.